Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 Brands Park American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. All right, it's episode 29 for the love of the game. Let's get it cracking. long since the last episode scheduling has been a little bit of a nightmare recently i've been splitting time between uh, my parents house in great neck and my apartment in nyc so it's been a little difficult but definitely happy to be back behind the mic back in the studio giving the people what they deserve what they need some of the reasons again are valid that i've uh, been a little mia recently some of them not so valid but regardless to my legion of followers the ath loyalists i extend an apology for my extended time off um luckily since the last episode episode 28 not a whole lot has happened since the last episode in terms of the world of sports uh, and if you hadn't or I should say, if you haven't listened to that one already, uh, it was a really awesome episode. Uh, give that a download, give it a listen, give it a subscribe. You know, it's good stuff. The main thing that's happened since the last episode is my prediction that the New York Yankees would ultimately win the American League East. Well, that one has fallen flat on its face. And we'll get into that a little bit later on in the show as I have some as you could probably guess some really strong opinions on the current state of the New York Yankees. 
Well, now that football season's getting close and summer is sadly winding down, which makes me a little blue uh, because, as you know, to me, beach season is the king season. But anyway, uh, there will be more to talk about in the coming weeks with the NFL, whether it's uh, fantasy football, whether it's uh, a season long preview. Uh, next couple of shows are going to be uh, heavy football related content. So be prepared for that. Two major non-Yankees related highlights, and then we'll get into the state of the New York Yankees, as I mentioned. The PGA Championship, especially Sunday, was much watch television. And by that means, in in regards to golf, or I should say in Aaron's terms, monitoring uh, on Twitter and the ESPN app and maybe catching a hole or two uh, if a screen is easily accessible, say like at a poolside bar or something, because it's too nice out to sit indoors and watch TV all day on a Sunday. Um, because again, as I mentioned, beach season is king, but that's just me. But Tiger Woods was in the mix to win his first major in many, many years, and he was absolutely spectacular on Sunday. He shot six under and he did it without hitting a single fairway on the front nine off the tee. Sunday's six under was his best final round score of his career at this particular course. Just amazing finish. Uh, Ultimately, he finished second at minus 14 to Brooks Kopka. But Tiger was really the story. The crowd was going crazy, going absolutely bonkers every hole he played. Twitter was amazing to follow. As always, that's the case when Tiger's in the mix and he's hot in serious contention. Twitter is awesome. And Twitter can be so bad in so many other ways. But when Tiger's in the mix on Sunday, Twitter is absolutely electric. The reactions and the retweets and all that is just awesome. It was thrilling to monitor on Twitter. And yeah, that putt that didn't fall on 11 and the drive on 17 that did him in. But overall, it was a great experience, even for the most casual golf fan like myself. I truly believe Tiger's going to win another major soon. But by the way, this marks the third major title for Brooks Kopka in his last six tries. Pretty freaking impressive. People forget that. And that's a wrap uh, for me talking a little bit of golf, considering I know next to nothing about the topic. NFL preseason is upon us. As I mentioned, not much to discuss here after week one. I will be doing a complete NFL show, as I mentioned, uh, coming soon. For those who have asked me who to take uh, for their top pick in this year's uh, fantasy draft, uh, shout out to my cousin Avi, who's listening. Uh, Avi, if you have the number one pick, my top three would go as follows. Uh, Le'Veon Bell would go one. Antonio Brown would go two. Uh, Todd Gurley would go three. And if you're doing points per reception, I would probably take Antonio Brown one over Le'Veon Bell. But you can go either way there. In other major news, the NCAA has changed some rules with regard to college basketball. Going forward, elite, and I I use that with air quotes if you could see me doing it, elite level high school prospects who are deemed by USA Basketball to be considered the cream of the crop are able to have an agent uh, going forward uh, by July 1 of their senior year of high school. Now, this rule is going to be in effect for when high schoolers will be able to be draft eligible again in a few years. And I think that's going to be the 2021 draft. So, yeah, now high school players will be able to work with agents, something that was completely illegal uh, up until now. Um 
or I should say once it was mandated that they had to go to college for at least a year or be outside, or I should say, I should say be 19 before entering the NBA draft. And now college players effective immediately can have an agent at the start of the college season. If they request an evaluation from NBA undergraduate advisory committee. Now I'm not really sure what that means, but whatever. Now agents can sponsor meals and pay for meals, transportation, such for players and their players' families if expensed properly. It also now potentially gives local businesses, uh, say like a local car dealership, the ability to pay a player for a commercial. And now all that's going to be okay and not be a violation against the rules. So this is a major change for the NCAA. And there's a lot, a lot to unpack here. I'll be a little quick because there's a lot of nitty gritty, as I mentioned. And if anybody who's really interested about the topic and it's a fascinating topic, I suggest, and I wouldn't be one to pimp out someone else's content, but you know, you have to give it up to the, uh, the absolute pros pro, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski's podcast. He did with Jay Billis about the topic, but here are just a couple of highlights. It's a really good step in the right direction. It makes college athletes be treated a little bit more like Olympic athletes, where they're not necessarily being paid a salary per se, but they have the ability to go get their own sponsorship deals and sponsorship dollars. The NCAA will not pay the players, uh, so there's no issue in terms of Title IX, but there are a couple of real major holes and problems with these changes, and especially the way the NCAA went about doing it. The NBA does not want and should not want to be the ones who decides which player is worthy of having an agent uh, in college. That's absolutely ridiculous. And the NBA, as it was reported, wasn't even consulted before this went down. Um, So, I mean, come on, NCAA. Like, if you want somebody's help, you at least have to ask them permission or for help before you just do it and assume they're going to help you. USA basketball also doesn't want the responsibility of choosing the elite high school players who will be eligible to have agents before their senior year of high school. Again, they weren't consulted either. And I just raised the question, why not let everybody have an agent? I mean, what, what's the difference? Why are we excluding certain people from having agents? I mean, just let everybody have an agent and let them operate under the same rules. You know, some players won't be the high level players or will be one and done or potentially high, you know, go straight to the NBA from high school. But why can't a three star recruit per se get a local TV deal, you know, in his local college town, or I should say local TV commercial in his local college town? I mean, why are we excluding those guys? It just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, it's like they're going a little bit further. But they, they just it's kind of like a half-assed measure where they haven't gone far enough. The rule also states that when a player goes undrafted, and this is going to be a change, or is unhappy with his draft status, that they'll be able to go back to school. But if they get a contract, they're no longer able to go back to school. But I, I asked the question, but what about the undrafted guy or the second round pick who gets a summer league deal or potentially a two way deal? Now that he's gotten a contract, he can't go back to school. Seems a little bit you know, unfair. I mean, we, we should want these kids to go back to school if, if we truly value the student athlete and college education. I mean, why not make it more like the baseball or hockey system where they can just go back and um, forgo the contract and it not be an issue? 
And this won't necessarily solve the one and done issue because high school players could reclassify now to go into college a year earlier. I mean, Marvin Bagley just did that this past year. I mean, what's stopping somebody else from doing that and then still having the same one and done issue to get these guys into the pros faster? I mean, the NCAA is still making money hand over fist over the likeness of these athletes. And I get there's the Title IX issue and I get that there are more sports that then just the revenue producing sports, you know, say mainly college basketball and college football, but the NCAA wiping their hands clean off of, you know, being responsible for these players, you know, it is still a bit of an issue. Uh, I don't have the perfect solution and how they would go about stipending players. I do think something needs to be in place, but I will give the NCAA credit. They're trying with this and, Trying as opposed to not doing anything is a lot better. And now for the main topic of today's monologue, or I should say rant, and that's the state of the New York Yankees since we are in the thick of baseball season. Now, full disclosure, this episode was supposed to happen last Monday after the Yankees debacle in Boston where they got swept four games by the Red Sox without the Red Sox having their best pitcher in Chris Sale. A four game sweep that saw the Yankees lose in every which way possible. And again, as I mentioned, due to the technical issues, I had to move it back a week. So this rant would sound a little bit different if it was done Monday, but there is still a lot to be said about this Yankees team. And I know they beat up on, you know, the Texas Rangers and the Chicago White Sox before losing to the Mets last night, which we'll get to that in a second. I've got a couple of strong opinions and, and here they go. This team is the worst team ever to be 30 games above 500 at this point in the season. They have so many holes. It's crazy. So many issues and it is Beyond frustrating to watch. Here's a couple of reasons why the Yankees stink. They are the worst situational hitting team in baseball. Now, I don't have the numbers in front of me right now. I just see what my eyes tell me. They have been terrible hitting with runners in scoring position for months now. And it's not just getting hits. They don't even make productive outs. I can't tell you how many times they can't score runners from third with less than two outs this year. It's damn ridiculous. And it's plagued the entire roster. They don't do anything to switch things up when they don't hit home runs and they strike out a ton. I know the analytics have changed the way we look at baseball. We think the game, especially in terms of potentially giving away outs on the base paths, whether it's bunting or trying to steal bases, yada, yada, yada. I get all that. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. The Yankees, when the bats are cold, they just stand in the batter's box like like they're super hot. They swing away and they wonder why they don't get guys on base and why there's for such a prolific offense. They have tons of games where they don't score any runs. I mean, when you're cold, how about try and switch it up a little bit? How about try and steal a base? Maybe bunt the guy over for a change. I mean, they have guys who can run. Didi Gregorius can run. Aaron Judge, when he's healthy, can run. Giancarlo Stanton can run. Brett Gardner can run. Like, like, 
I'm not saying do it all the time, but when you're ice cold, don't just stand there and accept the fact that you're ice cold and waiting for yourself to turn around. Try and push the pedal to the metal a little bit. Try and make things happen when things aren't going your way at the plate. I mean, the Red Sox kicked their teeth in on the bases, especially in that first game, that Thursday night of their four-game series. Kicked their teeth in on the bases. Totally destroyed them, and it, and it killed that, and it won them the game, the Red Sox. I mean, try and make things happen. Uh, just don't wait around and, and wait around for the home run. Like it, It's so incredibly aggravating to me, and, and I get all the baseball nerds who are like, just trusting, you know, things are going to turn around. At, at a certain point, you have to make your own luck. You have to try new things, and, and it's time for the Yankees to embrace that a little bit in my personal well, not so humble opinion. Uh, number three, Luis Severino, who was a Cy Young candidate for the first half of the year, has been absolutely dreadful for the last six weeks. In his last seven starts, he has an ERA over seven. They are going to go absolutely nowhere if he doesn't get his head out of his ass soon because their pitching staff, you know, their starters were thin as it is. Glaber Torres has somehow forgot how to play baseball since he's been back from injury. He's been a disaster. Greg Bird is the worst, the absolute worst. I am so tired of Yankee fans defending this clown. He's rarely healthy, and when he's healthy, he's flat-out terrible. I mean, Yankee fans, I know we finally have a stacked farm system and young, homegrown talent to be excited about. It's been years since we've had that. I mean, with Judge, Glaber, Severino, ETC. Um, But not all these guys are going to be great. And Greg Bird has had more chances to show that he's going to be something and has shown absolutely nothing. And people are going to say, oh, well, his slash line has improved since the beginning of the season. He's still hitting 230. Okay. He still has about 10 home runs. Like, like, let's let's calm down here. I mean, this guy's not the second coming of Lou Gehrig. I mean, far from it. This guy's terrible. And he is the worst situational hitter on the team. It. Uh, this this guy he's he's so aggravating and even when he does something good or has a great night at the plate like it happened a couple of weeks ago in Baltimore he'll stay he'll still manage to make the game losing error in the extra innings i mean get this guy out of here it's time for a real first baseman in the bronx the starting pitching has been shoddy outside of severino struggles i mean jay hap Got uh, foot, hand, and mouth disease. Uh, he looked ter- he looked pretty good in his first start. Now he's coming back. Uh, Sonny Gray has been atrocious all year and that is now in the bullpen in favor of Lance Lynn. So we shall see how that goes. I mean, thank God for Masahiro Tanaka, who's been excellent of late because the starters outside of Severino have been a little up and down. And that has had an adverse effect on the bullpen. Uh, the bullpen, uh, which was the Yankees' strength all year, has been pretty bad lately. Everybody in the pen has had their rough moment recently outside of Dellen Patances. They are overworked, and the starters haven't really helped them out. And that gets me to the uh, a major cause for the Yankees' problems, and that's Aaron Boone. And let me put it on record as saying I am somebody who puts the onus on the players. Ultimately, it's the player's job to go out and perform on the field or on the court. The players need to execute. The coach manager can only do so much. But Aaron Boone has absolutely zero feel on how to manage a pitching staff, starters or bullpen. 
He has too quick of a hook for his starters. I mean, there was no reason to pull CC Sabathia after three innings, giving up two runs. I know he didn't have his best stuff, but he's a veteran with a track record. You have to at least let him go out and battle knowing knowing that you're probably going to have to use your bullpen a lot. You, you, you squeeze the most out of him. Taking him out after three innings was just just so short-sighted. It was amazing. And then he gives his bullpen guys a really long leash, a way too long of a leash, especially when you have that many arms in the pen that they carry, whether it was Jonathan Holder in Boston or A.J. Cole last night against the Mets. I mean, to be the manager of an American League team is the easiest coaching job in all of sports. Literally, the only thing you have to do is fill out a lineup card, you know, maybe have an understanding for situational offense and be able to manage a bullpen. And he is embarrassingly bad at managing a bullpen. I mean, last night's game was so frustrating moving away from the Red Sox debacle that was they scored three runs off arguably the best pitcher in baseball, Jacob deGrom, with their ace, Luis Severino, on the mound. And Sevy shits himself and gives up four earned in five innings. And Boone does the A.J. Cole experiment for two innings that clearly didn't work. Just another BS loss against a crappy team for the Yankees who have really been dreadful against bad teams this year, which is a little tough to understand why, but whatever. Losing to Jacob deGrom, there is zero shame in that. But losing to deGrom like they did last night is just embarrassing. And while I'm on the topic of last night's game, the trio who called the game for ESPN, Keith Olbermann, Tim Kirchner, and Zuara Perez was absolutely abysmal. What a garbage product and telecast that was. Keith Olbermann is the most insufferable man in media. He's terrible at Everything he does, he hasn't been good at anything since his days on SportsCenter with Dan Patrick. And that has nothing to do with the fact that I think or that some would think that he's an insufferable liberal snowflake. And if that offends you, well, I'm sorry, but I'm not really sorry. Uh, Just deal with it. This has nothing to do with his views on politics. He's just bad on camera. He's bad at his craft. He's boring and doesn't resonate with the audience anymore. He once upon a time did resonate with the audience, not so much anymore. And having him call baseball games might just be the final straw for ESPN's relationship with baseball because it is not going to be a formula for success. I mean, people don't like Jessica Mendoza on Sunday Night Baseball. Last night was infinitely worse than anything Jessica Mendoza's put out there this season. Anyway, the Yankees really kind of suck right now. I know Aaron Judge will be coming back, and that will definitely help as he's been exceptional all year. But they all need to play better. Glaber, Severino, as I mentioned, everybody outside of Masiro Tanaka and Giancarlo Stanton really need to get their crap together if they have any future in winning anything this season. And that is my end of rant. All right, uh, so uh, I had to bring in, um, with football season around the corner, I had to bring in a special guest, a new guest, first-time guest on the show. But even before we talk a little football, uh, this guy happens to be the best golfer I know. Um, and given the fact that Tiger Woods had uh, a really exciting weekend, um, uh, need, so needed to uh, needed to get his take. Uh, first-time guest, uh, major friend of the program, Mr. Jason Eisman. Jason, what's going on, man? What's going on, Aaron? How you doing, man? 
Awesome, awesome. So I know we were scheduled to talk Giants football with the season readily approaching, but and, and we will, <laughs> and we will. But uh, Tiger, Tiger on Tiger. Sunday, as as we all know, as, as I mentioned in my monologue, uh, had an unbelievable Sunday. Came up a little short. Just wanted to get your quick thoughts on Tiger before we uh, go into the Giants because it was an amazing, how, how amazing quick? weekend. <laughs> I, mean, I could I could talk about Tiger for forty minutes. I'll give you I'll give you a quick two minute thing on Tiger. Let's um, hear it. Yeah, so I'm I'm obviously a big Tiger guy. Um, I've been you know I've been following him along. You know our generation grew up with Tiger. Uh, we're thirty three, thirty two in that range. So when he was winning, we were we were kind of just getting into this. You know, sports. So we we're the real Tiger generation. He's our guy. I'm not going to toot my own horn by saying that I, I knew he'd be back. But if you talk to the people that I talk to about golf and about sports, um, I, I this was this was coming along. Um, he he was he was always going to have this comeback. Um, I thought in in my heart of hearts, I thought he would win one major this year. Um, he put himself in position to win two. Um, Kepka was just too good yesterday. I think the, the open championship a couple of weeks ago was his real shot when he had the lead with uh, six holes left and he kind of fell apart in the end there. But, um, I mean, he was just amazing yesterday uh, on, on Sunday. There's no, there's no really, he, he didn't hit a fairway on the front nine and he shot three under par and I, he made, he made every single putt. I mean, you can't really do anything more than that. I just want to let you know, um, as you know, as we've spoken before, I am not a golf guy. So the fact that it was a summer Sunday and where I was, it was beautiful outside. Uh, so I wasn't going to be inside uh, in front of a television. But I was on my <laughs> phone, you know, monitoring with the via the ESPN app, via Twitter. And uh, when I actually uh, went to the gym in the late afternoon, you know, made sure that the uh, that the the golf was on, which for me Aaron, is like Aaron, crazy. He he brings people to the TV set like nobody else in sports. Like no one simple. else, Absolutely nobody not. else in sports. Maybe in sports history. I mean, listen, we spoke briefly before about you know LeBron and MJ being the greatest athletes and the greatest draws to sports, and you could talk about anybody you want in sports history. Really, in sports history, Muhammad Ali. You can Tiger is that kind of athlete. He is. All time, I don't want. I'm not getting into the Jack debate, but he's the all time greatest player in his sport. Maybe in any at every level at every capacity. What he did this week proved to the to the Twitter world, which is something that he hasn't really been good since Twitter was around. If you if you remember the last time he was really relevant was 2012 13 when he was winning. He didn't win a major in 2012, but he won five tournaments and. Twitter was just kind of getting started and social media was getting started and all that stuff was exciting. And, you know, it's been six, seven years since he's really had this kind of momentum and to see how the world kind of was just totally enamored by his play yesterday was just so amazing to watch. And I love him so much. I just, I really hope he would have won. It was so, it was so close. I mean, he, he's, he's going to win. He'll win a major in his career. I don't know if he'll win five or four to tie Jack, but he'll win. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not too worried. We went back and forth. I, I've been of the opinion that uh, LeBron James is the most interesting athlete of our time. I think actually Allen Iverson is number two, um, just because of when well, LeBron. You're a basketball guy. Well, also it's because when LeBron grew up and how he grew up with social media and being in the public eye his entire life since he's 14, 15 years old. But nobody 
excites Twitter quite like yeah. Tiger Woods. And Twitter was amazing. Twitter, amazing. Twitter. This is what Twitter is made for. It's made for Twitter. Tiger Woods makes Twitter fantastic. Twitter is filled with a lot of idiots. It's a cesspool of a lot of terrible opinions and awful people. However, there are certain times of the year where Twitter is the best social media platform on earth. Absolutely. And yesterday was one of those days. Yes. And I'll tell you something else about Tiger that I'm going to, I'm not going to have the Tiger LeBron argument, but different sports and it's different. You know, everyone has their own kind of, you know, ways that they go with this stuff. But I'll say, I'll just say make this last point about Tiger in general. If you, if you look at his career as a whole, from the time he was an amateur in the nineties, and even in the late eighties, he was a little kid. And, and you just kind of try to encapsulate, encapsulate every single tournament win record everything that this guy can do he's 42 years old if if this happened 20 years ago if meaning if, if we just pushed the whole timeline back 20 years this never ever happens tiger woods in 2010 which would have been 1990 would have probably never played again on the pga tour he was able to basically recreate his entire body he has a new knee he has a fused back. What medicine has given to this guy, to, uh, what has given to a lot of athletes, by the way, you look at a guy like Kepka, you didn't, you never saw anybody close to Brooks Kepka on tour until really seven, eight years ago. Well, these guys, are, it's, a, it's a different breed of athlete. These guys are hitting the ball 350 yards. When Jack was winning tournaments in the 70s and 80s, he was driving the ball 250, 260. They're, they're outperforming the guys from the 80s and 90s by probably a wider margin of any other sport in history. So the, the reason why Tiger is able to have this success aside from, you know, the, the, how mentally strong he is, which is, is also something that is really unbelievable based on where he was even six months, a year ago. I mean, the guy was, this is not that long ago that he was in that police car with the, all those mugshots and having a real hard time of life. I mean, he didn't think in his heart of hearts, I don't think he thought he would be back this quickly. And the fact that in year one, really, of his comeback, he's able to perform at this level and and really show the world that he's back is just uh, it's just it's the best feeling for a golf fan. It really is. I want to before we go switch gears to the Giants, I wanted to just go through because there were two monumental events that took Mm -hmm. moments, events. uh, I was I was losing my train of thought Mm -hmm. that. That did Tiger in where we really thought and Twitter thought that Twitter was about to explode. And then 11 the, and 17 is what you're going to say. Huh? And then there was the putt on 11 on 11. Yeah. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Was that for bird or was that to yeah, save but, par? Uh, we'll, we'll just back up one second before you get to the putt. You're right. It was the, it was the moment. hundred percent. But back up one, one more second. I just, th- those are definitely the moments. If you're going to say the other one was the, was the par on 17. Is that the other moment where he kind of lost that you thought? Well, yeah. Well, he hit the drive off the tee and, the drive and off, right, sliced. The water. Right. So let's just go back for one second. So for non-golf fans don't really, I mean, I'm not going to say non-golf fans, but let's just even say non-golfers. When you're playing golf, right, and you're out on the golf course, you you start the day with a swing. Every day is going to be different. No two, no two days you're going to go out and have the same swing unless your book's kept. Uh, he's a robot. But most golfers, when they go out on the golf course, they're going to have a little, a little hook, a little draw, a little fade. Something's going to happen on the golf course. Tiger went out to the range in the morning, and he told, he said after the round, everything was going left. He was hooking the ball. He couldn't figure it out. He was frustrated. He did not think he was going to be, you know, ready to go when he got to the first tee. He steps up to the first tee, 
and he duck hooks his ball left. He gets to the second tee. He almost hits the ball in the water. I don't know if you remember two. He almost hits his ball in the water on two after he lipped out from that seven footer on the, for the birdie on one. And he, then he starts to figure out his, his swing, but to come from where he came from, which was not being able to, you don't understand how hard it is playing that golf course to not hit a fairway and shoot three under par in that kind of situation. It is the most remarkable nine holes I have ever watched any golfer put together in any situation. He couldn't hit the ball off the tee. His drives were everywhere. His irons were everywhere. He made 10 total putts in nine holes. And if that one on one goes in, which was a seven footer that somehow broke left when it should have broke, right? If that goes in on one, he has basically a perfect game on the front nine putting. He gets nine for nine. So that is just that performance right there to put him in position to have the back nine that he had, which was the two moments. And by the way, there was another moment on 14. If you remember, he had a bad hole, but he had about a 12 footer right to left for par that lipped out on the high side, which is almost impossible to do that extreme. So those three putts, you know, you take 11, you take 14 and then you take the slice on 17 and he probably wins the tournament. When it didn't go in on 11, I, I, I was, I, it was one of the few moments I caught in the gym. It didn't go in at 11 and I was just like, Oh no. And then I look at Twitter and I have my tweet oh. ready to go. Like, like the classic Yiddish, I mirror tiger. And then it, uh, it's already like 25 tweets down on the timeline. It's, just, it's classic tiger because he is the person in the world who has this type of moment all the time. If you look, if you remember back, the famous Augusta chip on 16 where it's hanging on the lip and in your life and Vern Lundquist. I mean, the guy has these moments. And then that, when the ball was hanging on the lip, I'm sitting in my living room watching it. And I said in my mind, I'm sure everyone else watching it had the same thought. I, I said, this is Augusta. I said, this is going to go in. Just wait. And then he walks up and taps it in and my heart fell out of my chest. And I said, he's not winning today. They waited and he waited so long for that ball had, to just catch. To. I just, it, stopped. it also was downhill and it kind of just stopped. I didn't make any sense. I it was such a perfect thought. I'll tell you the real thing though, is the, the iron shot he hit into that green 11 was a birdie hole all week. He doubled it as his second hole on Thursday. He hit in the wall. He chunked a wedge in the water and he, and he did not hit a good iron shot onto that green on Sunday. He's, that, that was a sandwich from like 115 that he put to like 35 feet past the hole. I'm not, obviously he should have, he basically did make the putt, but you got to, he's in that situation, the, the way he was hitting irons today, that was a B minus iron. And what gets lost in all the shuffle is that Bruce Kapka, Cap, Cap, Brooks, Brooks Kapka. I'm sorry. I mispronounced the name Brooks Kapka. I know I should be better at this. He's, a, host. he's, a, robot. Um, he's a robot. Has won three majors in his last seven attempts. Six. He missed the master this year. I missed the Masters. Okay, so last six Three attempts. Six. He's that won fifty percent of the majors he's played in. That is is pretty ridiculous. And he, his golf swing. I don't want to talk too much about Kepka because honestly, he's boring and I hate him. Um, I, if you know what, to be honest, if if Rory or Spieth or somebody interesting would have done this to Tiger, you know, even Fowler, I would have loved to see Ricky win, but he was hurt. Um, even even Phil, like somebody interesting who I like, who has some pizzazz and some energy out there, like. Kepka is so boring. He won't even go. He, he won't even go do like a talk show today. I don't even know what he sounds like talking. He's so bad for the game of golf. Like what happened yesterday was great for the game, but the winner was really bad for the game. 
Yeah, it was just an exciting, exciting tournament. It was an exciting, exciting. day on it's Twitter. One of the best tournaments of all time. And you know, somebody like me who doesn't pay attention ever, very rarely was was pretty much completely enthralled, and that's saying something. So seventy percent increase in ratings from last year's PGA. Seventy. Unbelievable. Uh, Unbelievable. Tiger, hopefully, hopefully, he's gonna be back in the mix. And and I agree with you. I mean, I. I think he's going to get at least one or two in the next couple. Like he's, it has he's going to. to, he's bad. I mean, as long as he can stay, you know, I mean, he's, he's essentially the way he's playing right now. He's essentially back to 2013 tiger who won the players in five tournaments and finished and won the Fed up. So he's that he's that player, but a little bit better. So listen, he, I think for him now, it's just down to the mental game. If he can, if he can stay strong, I mean, tiger 2006 would never in a million years have sliced, that drive on 17. But to be fair, Tiger has also never come from behind to win a major in his career. So in 2097, 2001, 2000, all these times when he's winning all these 14 majors, he's had the lead after 54 holes in every one of them. So this was not, this would not have been a vintage Tiger win because we've never seen a Tiger come back. Am I making this up? But was his six under like the best round of golf he's played it's a deceiving stat because this course is a par 70. So the 64 is his lowest number, but he's shot six under before on, on for, for 18 holes. And ah, okay. Round. All right. That's, that's what it was. 64 is, if you, if you shoot 64 at Augusta, you shoot eight under and that's ridiculous. But these right. guys all go low at Augusta. They're, they're so used to that place and they know all the spots and they tried really, really hard to make that place as long and fast as possible. And these guys are still shooting 10 under, you know I mean? They can't do anything with that place anymore. It's just, it's too easy for them. But the U.S. Opens, nobody's going eight under or even six under. And the British, usually no one goes that low. So the PGA is notorious for being the lowest, um, you know, uh, major. And especially how wet it was. I don't know if you watched any of it, but you basically can hit directly at the flag. It will land. No matter what club you hit, it will land and it won't go anywhere. So these guys are going in with five iron from 220 they're hitting it pin high and it's just stopping. So when you have players at that level who can control their distances that well, shooting at flags, you're going to get a 16 underscore to win the tournament. Well, it was an awesome day. And for uh, the audience out here and for my uh, loyal listeners and my legion of ATH followers, uh, just know that Jason Eisenman is basically a scratch golfer. He is the most knowledgeable golf guy I know. Uh, I'm sure you can probably tell from listening to this when you do, but uh, this man knows his golf. And so he was the only person I can have on to talk golf intellectually. But uh, just uh, now that football's coming up, obviously, um, which means end of summer, uh, beginning of football season, which brings a tear to my eye because I'm all about beach season. But football season's coming up and, and we are we are both, New York giant fans. Uh, so before, you know, getting into a little bit of the nitty gritty, obviously, as, as you know, um, the giants have had a very interesting off season, a lot of moving parts. We've got a new GM and Dave Gettleman. We've got a new coach. We've got a shiny new toy and Saquon Barkley. How do you feel currently about the state of the New York giants? Um, considering last year at three and 13 was by far the worst season. The giants have had since we've really been hardcore following the giants. I mean, we've had a pretty good run since we're, you know, 13, 14 years old. <sighs> you, you asked, you're asking a very hard question. Um, it's, it's very strange. This is a very strange time for the giants. It's, um, you know, it's, it's a time where you bring in an entire new regime and you essentially keep the same quarterback who's aging. So to me, 
it was, you know, it was a very strange decision that they made. You know, I'll just, I'll go back for one second because I was thinking about this before. I had, I have had endless debates with you, with friends about the whole way that they trade, they, they treated Eli last year. I'm not going to get too far into that. It's time to move ahead. And the whole McAdoo era was a shit show. So let's, you know, kind of move on from that. But at the same time, what happened last year with Eli and the decision that I think, I don't think it was really McAdoo's decision. I think it was Mara who, who kind of decided, or maybe Tish or one of the owners um, who kind of said, you know, what, it's time to move on from Eli. And they, and they told McAdoo to bench him. That's what I think happened. I don't have any proof of that. But after that happened, and then they saw the reaction from giant fans, which was let's blow. You know, this is insane. We got, you can't treat our quarterback like that. Two times Super Bowl champion, Eli, man, he's still good. After that whole two, a week or two of that Michigas to bring him back and then to fire McAdoo and then to bring in this whole new regime. It's just, it's, they didn't, they went around about this whole process terribly until they got Gettleman in place and, and Schumer and Shermer and everything kind of started up again. I, I felt terrible about this team. I, I had no sense of any positivities running through my blood. I, I didn't want to watch a game. I just, I love the NFL so much. So I, I I'm obsessed with fantasy football and, and all this other great stuff and survivors and everything. So I, I, I'm always excited about NFL, but I, I was so turned off by how the giants handled their, their season last year that until, until they started, you know, ramping things up in the last couple of weeks, I was really kind of out of it for them. So I actually vehemently disagree with you. I think uh, I We've had this the, the McAdoo thing just came from him. And I think he was a bumbling idiot, but there's no way that McAdoo could have ended that streak with, from Eli without, without talking to the ownership first. He, he didn't have that kind of power. He was a, he was a schmuck coach who didn't do anything right for two years and kind of decided to, to, you know, bumble his way into the stadium with his slick back hair and his giant suits. And he couldn't figure anything out. And it was time since to move on from a really aging quarterback who didn't have any offensive line. And it made sense. They, the problem is they didn't have another quarterback. I mean, Davis Webb is not the answer, obviously. And now they have the second pick in the draft and they decide to not draft the quarterback. So, well, so hold on. I, so, I we're, so we're going to, we're going to get there in a second. I just don't yep. for all that we know about the Mara family and how they do business. I just don't think with them being as loyal as they are, I just don't think the decision came from the top. But anyway, so okay. the draft happens, you know, yep. there are a bunch of quarterbacks that people like high in the first round, whether it was Darnold, uh, Baker Mayfield, uh, Josh Rosen, some people liked I, he actually was my favorite of the three. Love, a love lot of, a lot of people like Lamar Jackson, whatever yeah. the giants take the highest rated player on the board in Saquon Barkley, obviously, you know, running backs, aren't necessarily as uh, as valuable in terms of they can easily be replaced. However, you know, in the last three or four seasons, you've seen rookie running backs come in immediately and make major impacts in terms of wins and losses to a team. Um, so if you were the general manager, uh, what would you have done with the second pick? Uh, it's very... Um... <laughs> It seems like you're on the Barkley. I mean, I listen, I, I like, I like Saquon Barkley a lot, obviously. I mean, he, he rates, you know, insanely high. He watched his com combine. He was unbelievable. You know, he, he obviously at Penn State, he was unbelievable. The guy could do it all. I'm not, I don't, I don't mean when I say what I'm going to say to downplay Saquon Barkley because he's, 
probably going to be a really, really, really good pro. I, I, I kind of view him a little bit like Le'Veon Light is how I'm looking at it in his first year as, a, as an NFL player. But saying that, you had to draft the quarterback. I mean, you really had to. The only way that you don't draft the quarterback there is if you really, truly don't like any of the quarterbacks. And I don't think that that was the case. I mean, maybe it was. Um, you know, if there was still a, a, a must-take quarterback, if Andrew Luck was on the board at number two, you know, they'd probably take Luck. Um, but I guess they didn't see Darnold or Allen or Rosen as, as, as that player. I, I'm not saying that they are. Again, I'm, I don't think Sam Darnold is Andrew Luck. But what Sam Darnold is, is Matt Ryan. And Matt Ryan, a player like that, can change a franchise for 10 to 15 years. The problem was Jerry Reese and the old regime was a disaster in the last few years. And Eli Manning is still getting paid $22 million a year. So you really couldn't draft a quarterback. So there is really no correct answer. They probably did the right thing by drafting Saquon. But, you know, you're in a lot of trouble in the long term right now. I mean, it's, if, if they don't win this year or next year and Eli's last two years, what are they going to do at quarterback? That's a good question. And I no, agree. There's no answer. Right. No, there's no answer. You're going yeah. to have to draft one. Um, and How I do agree. you draft one if you go nine and seven this year? I'm not sure. I, you're going to draft you're gonna have the 23rd pick. You're going to get a, a franchise quarterback? Hey, listen, Very Aaron. rare that that happens. Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Tom Brady. I'm not Brady. saying it doesn't happen. It's, it's I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Yeah, of course. Here's, here's my, my uh, take on their, on their first round pick. I don't think they were sold on any one particular guy. Um, I really don't. And as, as you said, if, if you draft, you know, you obviously have the best chance of drafting franchise QB high, and that sets you up for the next, you know, 10 years or so. You use the name Matt Ryan. I personally think Matt Ryan is the most overrated player in football. It's fine, but he still he still does what he does. He can yes. be overrated, but he's still going to get you 4,500 yards and 30 touchdowns. Sure, but I, and that's also a product of the way the game is played. But I think, yeah, well, I think the game actually may I, skew the other way with the running backs, as we've seen with like Zeke Elliott, Le'Veon Bell, you know, even okay. Leonard Fournette. I mean, who knows? I mean, Nick Foles just won a just won a Super Bowl. Um, if you're if you don't believe it in your heart of hearts that the QBs are worth it, the worst thing you can do there is take a quarterback high. At that point. I, I say take the best player available because if you miss on a top five pick at quarterback, that sets your franchise back five years. Yeah, but how does it how it's no different than if they would have at least gone for it? I mean, obviously you'd be without Saquon if you have the quarterback, but it's not like Darnold, you know, it's not even worth this conversation because we don't know what any of these players are yet. I mean, Darnold could be terrible and Allen and Rosen could all, none of these players, Baker could be terrible. We have no idea what these guys are. In five years, when we see what they did, we could say, okay, maybe they should have taken Darnold. But for right now, they obviously made the decision to go for it. They revamped the offensive line, which was a must because this offensive line last year was embarrassingly bad. The worst. Um, The worst offensive line I've probably ever seen in football at any level. I mean, it was, it was a joke. Flowers is somehow still on this offensive line on the right side. He's, he's, he's embarrassing to watch play football. Um, but what they did was they overpaid for Solder, which was necessary because they needed a left tackle. They signed the the right, I can't pronounce his name, right guard, uh, Omame. They got Hernandez in the draft in the second round. They're now offensive line, the way it looks, I mean, I, I don't look at preseason and make any judgments, but 
the way that it looks on paper, um, you know, with a couple of options at center with uh, Halipo and Jones and a couple of different options, they have some guys now who can play offensive line. And at the very least, if they can give Eli another second to throw the ball with the weapons that they have around him, the offense could be good. I'm not saying it's, it's going to be the best in the league, but they, they definitely have the best. They probably have the best running back, wide receiver, tight end package. Maybe the Pittsburgh, there's a couple other really good ones, but I mean, those four guys, I mean, OBJ obviously is, we know what he is and Shepard is coming on and we know Engram is really a phenomenal tight end. I mean, these guys can really put on a show if, if Eli has time to get them the ball. Um, I don't know how, how good the running game is going to be. I mean, I know Barkley is obviously a very good running back, but I would say he's probably a little scarier, you know, catching the ball in, in space than he is getting the ball in the backfield. Um, but you know, they have a very, very tough schedule. So it's not, it's not a, it's not a good feeling going into the season that I have. I'm just, I'm very, I'm very down on this team right now. I guess the bottom line is for the giants. They looked at the offensive line. They saw that it was crap and they decided that, Hey, no QB can succeed under that offensive line, given those circumstances. And they're like, Eli still showed enough when he's had time that he's good and that's why they went for it. And, you know, yeah. obviously it all depends on him because if he's, you know, if he's like he was two years ago, he was, you know, 30 something touchdowns, 15 interceptions. You know, that that's pretty awesome. Um, if we can get that again, I mean, they're going to be I think they're going to be pretty good. And we can both agree that the successor for Eli Manning is not currently on the roster. Correct. <laughs> no, not even close. Like I know they drafted a guy. I forget what his name is in the fourth no, round. He's, don't even. No, he's terrible. And I mean, it's early to say, but you're not going to be able to to make any judgments on this kid right now. Uh, Kyle Laluda or something. I don't can't remember his name either. I think so. I he's, did, he's not the quarterback of the future. And the Davis bottom line is, everybody's talking about Davis Webb. He didn't even play in the no, preseason no, no, last no. year. I mean, he's 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 crappy too. So they're uh, in a lot of trouble. Let's focus on this year right now because it's scary after 19 when Eli's done. It's very scary. So let's see if let's see if the, the defense can can be okay. I mean, there's there's definitely some strengths. You know, there's obviously some weaknesses. Um, you know, they're very strong up the middle. I, I really like Ogletree. I think he was necessary. Mm-hmm. Really needed to bring him in. Um, I like what they did in the draft with Carter and Hill. You know, they're definitely focusing on I think what they should be focusing on. You know, Olivia, you never know with him, you know, health and, you know, he only had, I think, a couple of sacks left. I mean, listen, the offense, the defensive line is is better than it was last year. Even though they lost JPP, Tomlinson, Harrison, and Hill, Ogletree, Goodson, Vernon, and Martin is a real group of players that can do things, especially with Collins behind them, you know, filling these holes and making plays. It's a, it's a defense that, for the first time in a little bit, has has some strengths. The weaknesses, I think, are the corners. I don't know if you'd agree with that. Well, I mean, it's a, it depends on the pass rush. Uh, I mean, Janoris Jenkins I'm not a big, was, I'm not, I'm not a big Jenkins guy. was awesome two years ago. I mean, the defense was a top-five unit two years ago. Last year, yeah, it fell, it last year it fell no, apart. I, I think the defense is okay. Last year it fell apart because the offense couldn't stay on the field. Because right. if you're dropping back to pass at third and eight, you get sacked every single time, you know, and it's fourth and 15. You're not going to have good field position. You're not going to sustain any yeah. drives. They couldn't run the ball. So if, you know, they spent a lot of money in the offensive line and yeah, in free agency, you're always going to pay a premium. See with Olivier Vernon and you know, with Nate Solder, but if the offensive line's better and the offense is better, the defense is going to look better. And, uh, and remember Odell didn't play last year, basically. And we're going to get to him yeah. in, in, in just a second, but he didn't play last year. Eli's numbers with Odell Beckham in the lineup 
are actually really good. What? Eli, Eli and Odell, I, we talked about the skill position guys. They're, they're excellent. Um, and you could say this next sentence with any team in football and any team really in any sport, but if the giants stay healthy, um, they haven't had that in years, but if they say aside from Eli, he's the most durable player in football. If they stay healthy, they can be a force on offense with Saquon with Stewart behind them to get the power runs in there with all these weapons on the outside. They're a little light after, you know, after Latimer, I guess. Um, I don't know. I don't know much about Latimer. I saw him in Denver a, couple, a little bit, but they, they're definitely light after Latimer. So their four and five wide sets are, are going to be weird to watch, but you know, their, their, their core guys on offense are really, really good. There's no question about that. And I like the kid Wayne Gallman. He's, He's he showed a little something yeah, last year. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, listen, you could talk about their their third and fourth string guys across the board. I mean, Gallman's fine, and he's a third. He's a third down. Right? I mean, he's not he's not going to get a ton of touches. Like if he gets seventy five carries a year, that'll probably be a lot for him. I mean, Saquon, they're going to give the ball to Saquon Barkley. This this regime when they came in and drafted this guy, they made a statement, which is Saquon Barkley is going to get the ball three hundred plus times this year. They're going to, they're going to run with him. They're going to pass him screens. They're going to get him on wheel routes. He's going to be very, very involved in the offense. Uh, you know, Stewart and Gallman will see a couple of touches, you know, to give the guy a break, but this is going to be the safe one show for the most part. And he has to be, I mean, that's what, that's what happens when you take a running back at number two, like he has to, he has be to be for this regime. No question. Odell Beckham. I want to say, I want to say oh, one sorry. more thing before you get to Odell. Um, I was, I was looking at the schedule. Um, Something very interesting that I noticed. So first of all, we'll, we'll talk about this more at the end with, when we talk about predictions and, and that, but looking down the list of quarterbacks that the Giants are going to play this year, I, I just quickly looked down it. 11 out of the 16 games, they're going to be playing mobile quarterbacks. They have Bortles, Dak, Watson, Cam, once, twice, Smith, twice, Jameis, and Mariota. That's 11 games against mobile quarterbacks. The games that they don't play against mobile quarterbacks, they still have to play Breeze and Ryan and Jimmy G and and um, it's true. You know, they, they still have not not uh, they're playing luck late in the season. So to me, just to finish up on this defense, guys like Collins and guys who are playing outside linebacker, and you know, even to some extent, the, the big guys don't really stop the quarterbacks who run. They're just not fast enough. But team, I want just to mention team speed for the Giants on defense this year is going to be so important. They're going to be you, you, how many games have we watched where quarterbacks have just extended plays against this defense and then took off for a big first down that happened. Russell Wilson does them every time they play him. All these quarterbacks are, who are so mobile do it all the time. And if they can stay fast and fresh and healthy on defense and, and contain these running quarterbacks that they're going to be playing against and put that together with the Saquon show and Beckham, hopefully, and you have kind of something now going where you could see some positive things coming, but there's a lot of ifs. There's, there's really a lot of ifs. I, I can just see another terrible injury on defense coming pretty soon. Well, uh, to be a little bit more optimistic, uh, <laughs> on a lighter <laughs> note, o- Odell Beckham Jr. Um, I personally, and this is not just bias, I think he, when he's on the field, he's the best wide receiver in football. I think he's the biggest difference maker uh, on the football field. Uh, He has a contract coming up, uh, and the Giants have been playing a little bit of hardball. Uh, They opened up negotiations. Um, He is a wide receiver. You know, historically, big money wide receivers haven't necessarily won Super Bowls. Then again, you know, to play devil's advocate, the game has changed to the fact that maybe 
a big time wide receiver like him and Antonio Brown are more valuable than a middling quarterback um, just because of how great they are and how, you know, defensive backs can't be physical with them, you know, when they're running their routes. What would you do um, if you're the Giants uh, regarding Odell Beckham's contract? Before the season starts or assuming you hold out, you're saying? Um, I mean, all indications show that he's not going to hold out. I mean, I personally think he should hold out. Uh, I don't know why he's not holding out. I guess maybe because he wants the good PR. But he's not playing in the preseason. He's not going to play in the preseason without a contract. We know that. Well, and and he shouldn't. And the Giants shouldn't play no. him anyway. There's no need to risk the injury. He's get hurt, and that's it. Right. Um, but yeah. So right now, given where the Giants are with Odell Beckham Jr., if you were calling the shots, what would you do? You have to sign. You have to pay him what he wants. I mean, listen. Like you said, he's, he's the most, I, I would say him Hopkins and Brown are all equal to me. I can't, I'm not going to say he's the best or the most game changing player because Antonio Brown has proven for a little bit longer than, than Odell that he has, you know, the, those skill sets and Hopkins, I think is coming on now that, that he's got the quarterback. Um, you know, it's, it's very interesting because the giants are really in a, in cap hell. If you really paid attention to what's happening um, they have, they have no, they really have nothing, nothing to, to pay. I mean, they're, they're so they're paying Eli 22 million. They're paying Vernon 17 Jenkins, 13 Solder has a $10 million cap hit this year. Snacks nine and a half. I mean, if they were able to keep Beckham on the field, that is $8.459 million cap hit. They're in good shape. If they have to pay this guy $18 million, um, I just don't know. I don't, I don't really know how it's possible unless they're able to renegotiate some other players on, on the team. Um, and that, you know, what happens when we start to try doing that? I mean, it's, it's going to be tough. Uh, the real question is, I mean, you've heard gentlemen talking about, you know, potentially trading him, you know, you hear that all the time when, when we talk about these types of players and what you can get for them. I don't know if, if somebody offered the giants two firsts, I think I would do it. It's very not likely two firsts as, as, we, as we know in the NFL, like basically a King's ransom. So yeah, that's um, not happening. So it, it's not happening, but even a first and a third or a first and a fifth, I would do, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta look, I mean, I, as much as you gotta win it right now, and it's really like we've talked about winning, winning, winning and Eli's last two years, even without Odell on the field, the team is, I mean, obviously they're not as dynamic, but they still have, they, they have enough on offense right now. Eng- between Ingram and Saquon and, and Shepard, you know, assuming Odell gets hurt, which he probably will, the team will still score. They're not going to get shut out every game. And if you can get a first round pick next year, especially if you, if you don't give them a contract to start the season and they start 0 4 or something like that, then I think it's a no brainer to get what you can for him. But if they, listen, their first four games are Jacksonville, Dallas, Houston, New Orleans, and then they have Carolina, Philly, Atlanta. Like, their first seven games, they can play good football and be one in six very easily. Um, they are not. They are not going to do. I don't think they're going to. They're going to get a contract in before the season starts. Um, and I don't know what Odell's going to do. I honestly don't. I, if he holds out, which he probably won't, because like you said, he's already had the bad PR and it looks bad. If he plays with this ten million dollar contract and gets hurt, he is in a lot of trouble. Here's here's what I would do. I mean. I would personally sign him. Um, I think there's more. For 18 million a year? Well, I mean, that that that's the number. I mean, the number is going to be set like the the next man up is just the guy who sets the um, who sets the number. So he just happens to be the next man up when. 
Can they even sign him for eighteen? I mean, they're they're going to be have to pay. They're going to have to pay all these taxes. Well, they're going to be a couple that. of cap casualties, like Olivier Vernon, uh, like Adios. Um, you're going to see, you know, Eli may have to restructure his deal. Um, there, there's. There's ways to make it work. You're going to have to get a little fancy. And again, I don't know the NFL salary cap like I would the no, uh, the NBA salary cap. So I'm not even going to try and like go down the rabbit hole. But in the NFL, you know, with with the marketability of stars, there are so few transcendent stars in the NFL that capture, you know, social media for, for better, or for worse. Um, and that's what every sports league needs and every city wants to have that guy. And Listen, Odell Beckham I, Jr. I, is one of the handful of guys in the NFL that moves the needle like that. I'm not, I'm not going to deny that. I know, I know his, his value to the team. I know his value to his own personal following number on Instagram or whatever. I mean, listen, he's, he's a head case. I mean, he's, he's fun to watch and he's, he's amazing. His ball skills are, Sec, like really probably the greatest ball skills I've ever seen. Like it's, it's unbelievable what he can do catching a football and he's fast and he, he's, he's amazing. I'm not, I'm, there's no denying that more than but fast. The change of direction. He's, is just... he's amazing. I'm listening. I'm not, I, this is not a bad, this is not me bashing on Dell. This is just, I, I'm a little bit more old school when it comes to my fandom of sports and especially football. I don't like that. I don't like watching him on boats and I don't like watching his dancing I don't need to see, you know, I mean, it's good. It's probably good for his brand and it's probably good for the giants because it brings, it brings eyes and, and he gets, he gets publicity, whatever you want to say, but it does nothing for the football team. I mean, when he, that game last year, two years ago, when he, when he started throwing the helmet against things and those nets and cages are falling on his head. I mean, he's putting, he, he has no self-control. He doesn't understand the value of team. And it's been the problem in the NFL for a long time. And he's the exact type of player who irks me when he makes a bit, when he makes a five yard gain and celebrates like, dude, make your play, move on. Like, come on, be Barry Sanders. That's what I want to say. Be a guy who's acted like they've been there before, who can make great plays and give the ball back to the ref and go celebrate with your teammates. Like, I don't need, I'm just not into this stuff. It just, it bothers me. I, I, I know I sound like I'm a hundred, but it bothers me. <laughs> I never thought I'd be considered the millennial and you'd be the old man yelling at clouds. It's just, but- I, I, it's, I just, it frustrates me. Listen, I, He's great. Be great. Be a great football player. That's an, that's all I want to see. I don't care about any other things. Go be a football player and win a Super Bowl. If you can win a Super Bowl, then you get it. First, you have to win a Super Bowl. Don't act like you've done anything yet. You've done nothing. That I'll agree with. Uh, the net thing, I just because I know you know what happened later on in that game, correct? He takes a well, five. He, he takes a five yard slant over fifty yards to the house for the game winning touchdown with under two minutes. And then he left. kissed the net on the cheek, right? Yeah. So yeah, I don't yeah. care what you I do. I don't care what you do. If your teammates support you and you ball out on the field, I don't care. But do they support him with this stuff? I, I feel like they get frustrated with when he gets a little out of I'm control. Sure they, I'm, at everyone. I'm sure they do, but I, I don't think it's anything malicious. Like, it's not like a Terrell Owens situation. Like, that was malicious. No, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, so uh, I, I've taken up a ton of your time. I know you had to go for a second. So quickly before we wrap up, uh, prediction time. Uh, the right. over-under is, I think, seven and a half, correct? I saw seven minus 160 on the over. Minus one sixty on the over. Uh, yeah, so they're begging. They're begging you to take the over. Oh, the, the schedule. The, listen, this, anytime you talk prediction, you have to look at schedule. I know it's still you know early, and 
week one of the preseason. It's hard to know who's who yet, but based on what I see here, <laughs> this is going to be really hard to win seven games. It's really, really hard. They, they have, listen to this. So I was breaking it down. They play, you know, you know, the way the, 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 the schedules are broken down. You play an NFC conference, you play mm-hmm. an AFC conference, and then you play the same Wild conference cards. based on based on where you finish, right? So the Giants finished in last place last year in the NFCs. Their extra games in the NFC are at San Francisco and Chicago at home. That should be, in theory, two of the last place teams in their division. You, you know, San Fran, Jimmy G, and Chicago is looking like the, the, a really solid team. So you lose two chances at an easy game. You should win one of them, maybe both, but. It's not a walk in the park. Those games. I think you get a split there, personally. You get a split. Fine. You want to. You want to say you lose at San Fran and beat Chicago. I don't, I'm fine with that. Set, then you. Then you have the NFC South, which is New Orleans, Carolina, and Atlanta, which are all juggernauts. Tampa Bay is bad. I'll give you that. And they play them at home late in the season in, in November, so that's probably a win. But can you beat New Orleans, Carolina, Atlanta? If you, can you win one of those games? That's tough. I don't and love then, Atlanta that much, oh, and I don't Atlanta's love right. Carolina either. Okay, but go. They're in Carolina. Could you go in Carolina and win that game on a Sunday afternoon? It's just the Giants don't have that that track record of going in and winning those games. And then to, to put the cherry on top, the AFC conference that they get, division that they get, is the South. Which any other year in the last five years is like you're celebrating for that. This year it's Jacksonville who just came off their best season as a franchise. Houston, who has probably the best young quarterback in football. Tennessee, who's coming off of a playoff appearance, probably a little bit down this year, but. You know, it's still not a, not a walk in the park type of game with Tennessee. Tennessee's and, a five win team to me. Okay, I'm just saying it's I, they're not. No, I they're, understand. They're probably, they made the playoffs last no, they're year. Probably, yeah, they're probably the last place team in that division, but they're not. They're not the Tennessee that we're used to seeing a few years ago. They have a tough quarterback who can run. They have some weapons. Davis is good. They still can run the ball with Henry. I mean, they're a team. They're not. They're not going to be. No, not, they're not, not a pushover. They're not a pushover. And then you have Luck coming back, and you have Indy. Now, granted. The Tennessee and Indy games are late in the season, and the season will probably be over by then, so it won't matter. But they open the season playing two of these teams, Jacksonville week one and at Houston week three. So if you can come out in week, I think personally looking at the schedule, if you can come out, oh, we didn't even talk about the division, by the way, which is, I don't know how you look at these teams in the division, but Philly's obviously great. Dallas and Washington is, I think, a little bit of a toss-up for those two teams. But, you know, if, if you can come out week one, Take care of business at home against Jacksonville, who is coming off of one of the most impressive defensive performances in a season that I've ever seen. Somehow win that game at home on a Sunday afternoon. Go to Dallas week two on a Sunday night and win, which is not going to be easy, even though Dallas is not great. Still going to Dallas on a Sunday night. And then come back for Houston to go to Houston on the next Sunday. If you can win two of those games, now you have a season to get excited for. If you win one or zero of those games, you're, it's going to be a long season. So I'll say, I'll say seven, you know, I, I never like to do this. Seven seems like a good number. If I had to take a side, I'd lean over just because of the hope that they could stay healthy. If this is a healthy team, I love, I really, really love what they did with the coaching staff. I think Dave Gettleman deserves a lot of credit what he did with this team. Um, you know, the draft picks were really good across the board Hill and Hernandez in the offensive line and, uh, getting, you know, obviously getting Saquon again, we talked about it, but I don't love it, but you know, what he did with the draft, what he did in getting a couple of guys for defense and sliding in here and there and getting these coaches in place. I love Pat Shermer. I think that this coaching staff is going to be phenomenal. Um, I don't know much about the, the defensive coordinator from uh, Arizona, Betchett, but, um, you know, we'll see. I mean, he seems, he seems like he's got his ideas and his schemes and, um, you know, so I don't know. 
here, I'm just going to leave you with this little nugget. There hasn't been a repeat winner in the NFC East in, I think, like the last five or six seasons. No Philly's winning the NFC East. No team. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Hold on. There's no question. No team has repeated division champion in the last couple of years. I'm so not, what? It doesn't mean that it can't can happen. No, I'm not. I'm not saying it can. What I'm Philly, saying, Philly, Philly won the Super Bowl with their backup and then got better. What I'm what I'm saying is that the last place teams in that division are very prone to flip schedule wise. Like two years ago, yeah. the Giants were yeah. eleven and five. Then they were three and thirteen. So I'm taking the over because I just. You know, trust the offensive line a little bit. And I really think 10 and 6 is a very reasonable goal. I, I don't think Dallas is very good. I think Washington is really bad. I mean, I know Alex Smith is there and he's solid, whatever. I think that's a bad team. I just and and maybe it's because I I just really like what they did in the offseason. But I I don't think 10 and 6 is outlandish. 10 wins this year would be very, very impressive if they can pull that off. I'm I'm listening, I'm praying for it. Um it would be fun to see them. You know, back you know in the division title and in the playoffs. I mean, they they haven't really had an exciting playoff run. I'm not you know jet, any Jet fans listening to this or teams uh, you know fans that uh, have not seen the playoffs or a Super Bowl in a long time or ever. Well, we'll see. We'll kind of maybe view this as a little like Yankeesy uh, type of fandom. But um, you know, the Giants really haven't been relevant in, in six years. I mean, even though they made the playoffs in 20 what was it 16, they lost in the first round. They got crushed at Green Bay. Um, they were terrible. They, I mean, their records in the last five years are three and 13, 11 and five loss at green Bay, six and 10, six and 10, seven and nine, nine and seven. And then go back even one more year when they won their Super Bowl, they were nine and seven. So yeah. the regular, the regular seasons that the giants have had in the last six seasons were one, one, 11, one double digit win, winning season. I mean, it's, they're not a team that goes out and wins 10 games. They're just not, that's not what they've been. Well, hopefully we'll change that this year. Anyway, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, first time guest, Jason Eisman. Thank you so much for your time, Jay. I will speak to you soon. Aaron, thanks for having me, buddy. We're going, bye. All right, big thank you to my friend Jason Eisenman for a tremendous interview. Uh, excellent golf insight and good talk about the Giants. And that is episode 29 of the For the Love of the Game podcast. Take us out. Tip. Necessary, living revolutionary, nothing less than legendary. Gangsta shit, hereditary. Got it from my dad, blow colder than February with extraordinary swag.
Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.